Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, folks, it is 11 p.m. in Melbourne, where you find myself, Catherine Whitaker, Matt Roberts, alongside me in our makeshift tennis podcast towers for the next 20 days. And it is midday, solly whole time, where we find David Law. And all of us have spent our, spent our evenings slash morning uh, watching the work, the live stream of uh, the Australian Federal Court and Family, uh, Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia, um, which is not entertainment that I can highly recommend. Uh, but it has led us here to bring you news of the developments in the saga of Novak Djokovic. We had the news around about 6pm tonight, which I'm sure is already extremely old news by the time that you're listening to this. We've kind of accepted the fact that whatever time we record these podcasts, that they will be out of date to a certain extent by the time you listen to them. We're doing our very best to keep up uh, with events and keep you up to date as well. But things are so fast moving um, that there is a, a limit on what we can do. Look, we had the news at 6pm Friday evening, Melbourne time, that immigra Immigration Minister Alex Hawke, who was suggested to me as, as a, a follow on Twitter today, <laughs> uh, which I politely declined. I really feel like Alex Hawke's role in my life is probably going to be over after this week. I um, sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a it'll be a, a tennis podcast 2022 quiz question. Who is Alex Hawke? <laughs> and and you would think that being in Melbourne, we would be perfectly positioned, you know, and able to ready to receive the news of Novak Djokovic having his mm. visa cancelled again. We we could not have been less ready. We were <laughs> on the pavement, walking up a hill with very heavy shopping bags in the baking sun. Complaining about the heat. <laughs> Contemplating ordering an Uber uh, to take us about six blocks, which, which folks, is what we ended up doing. Uh, so it's 6pm, Matt and I are sweating on a pavement and we received the news, the Immigration Minister, Alex Hawke, who I 
have decided not to follow on Twitter, uh, had made the decision to cancel Novak Djokovic's visa, uh, quote, on health and good order grounds on the basis that it was in the public interest to do so. Um, Prime Minister Scott Morrison followed up with a statement. He said, Australians have made a lot of sacrifices during this pandemic and they rightly expect the result of those sacrifices to be protected. This is what the minister is doing in taking this action today. Um, The timeline around that announcement, and this is courtesy of Andrew Brown of the Australian Associated Press, was at 5.35pm. Novak Djokovic's legal team was verbally told of the decision. At 5.52pm, the statement from Alex Hawke's office uh, on the visa cancellation was released. And at 6.03pm, the legal team uh, were given the decision in writing. And All of the other notes I have made on this are already out of date because I made them a couple of hours ago, which was before um, the latest hearing uh, between Judge Kelly, who I'm sure will be suggested to me as a Twitter follow very soon, (laughs) Um, Novak Djokovic's legal team and the Australian government's legal team or the Australian Border Forces legal team, Australia, uh, uh, officials officials of Australia. Um, And that hearing was um, to try and schedule, to try and lodge and schedule an an appeal. And we understand after sitting and wading through two hours of, pretty tedious legal jargon. We understand that the outcome is that Novak Djokovic will not be taken into detention tonight. At 8am, he will um, spend the morning with his lawyers before reporting for an interview with the Australian Border Force. Um, And he will be taken into detention, a, a detention hotel like he was in up until a couple of days ago, he will be taken back to one of those until Sunday when he will, uh, his appeal will be heard in the federal court. So this has been heard in the f- federal circuit court and the, the the next hearing will be heard in the, the federal federal court, which is the next level of, of court. This is the legal podcast. We hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, obviously we're on, we're on pretty, uh, shaky grounds when it comes to talking about the legal stuff, but basically as we come to you, uh, the situation is that Novak Djokovic's visa has been cancelled. He's appealing that decision, uh, and the appeal will be heard on Sunday before the start of the Australian Open. There are a number of possible scenarios. There are a number of possible implications this could have on the draw for the Australian Open. I mean, we could be <laughs> we could be in a situation where the world number one, the nine-time champion, the defending champion, is deported from the country mid-tournament. I mean, do, does anybody, hands up here, Matt and David, want to try and summarise what a wild, wild world we are we are living in right now? Well, we 
bumped into Christopher Clary today of the New York Times and he reminded us, because I feel like we need reminding, of the last Grand Slam which happened, which was the US Open, and all of the positive vibes there were around that tournament, you know, and the feel-good stories that tennis provided. And let's not forget, Novak Djokovic himself was a big part of that on on finals night and the reception he received that was a was a big story at that tournament this the next grand slam could not be more different i mean i don't think anyone is okay some people are but the tennis just feels so secondary at the moment i mean it's not really it's not really part of the conversation around the australian open the tennis that's going to be happening it is all about Novak Djokovic and these court hearings. And yeah, that is wild, mm. absolutely wild that we're in this situation. And it, I, can't, I can't get over how easily this could have been avoided. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, there's lots, there's lots of speculation, David, about why this decision um, by the immigration minister was left in, until 6 p.m. on a Friday evening. I'm not sure we'll ever know know why that was but I think you know we were all at the very least in terms of trying to clutch at something um positive from this situation uh, we were at the very least just hoping that one way or another deported or not this would be all over by the start of the tournament so that we could put it all behind us yeah. and focus on the tennis and it it that it feels unlikely one way or another now yeah, well, absolutely. I, I didn't expect to be sitting here on the Friday, even even with everything else that has gone on in the last week. I just didn't think we'd be going right up to the limit quite like this, and and as you say, may well be over the the limit of, and into the tournament. And and I do I do feel for a lot of people, particularly the sort of the other players, really that are are left to try to to deal with the the, the situation I, I saw Andy Murray getting asked about it earlier which is an obvious thing to do I'd have been doing exactly the same thing asking Andy Murray for his thoughts and he's he was saying look I don't want to kick Novak when he's down um but but he also wanted to address and he's got very different views to Novak Djokovic he's been very clear he believes in Absolutely, in vaccination, all the positive reasons that ninety percent, ninety-seven out of the top one hundred have taken the vaccine, and what that gives the sport and the world generally. Um, but you know, he's put in a position where he's just reached a final three years after thinking his career is over, and and that should be such a good news story for him. And yet, he's—it's a footnote. It's such an, a small note. And we've got Dan Evans at the moment against Aslan Karatsev playing a fantastic match. Just get the feeling that nobody's watching really because they're all watching and talking about the Novak Djokovic story. Again, completely understandable from a journalistic standpoint. That's what we're doing. We're starting a tennis podcast talking about a court hearing. It's—it's it's not ideal, but it's the only option available. And yeah, you've got two sides that are just refusing to back down. And I, I I was reminded of the words of Martina Navratilova a couple of days ago, another great champion, another sort of person who would not back down easily, but she, she was of the view and she is very clear that she thinks Novak Djokovic should have just taken the vaccine, whether he believes in it or not. And he said she used the words, take one for the team, i.e. For the, for the sport of tennis, take it. And 
get on with it, you know, because that's that's kind of the rule. Do it, uh, even if you don't believe in it. And she just said she feels that no matter how strongly he feels about it, for the sport's sake, he should just go now, really, is the, is the gist of what she was saying. And I think... From what I can gather, look, I've only been in Melbourne 24 hours. I'm not claiming to be, you know, privy to all of uh, this city and this state's thoughts and, and you know, experiences that they've been through over the course of this pandemic. But from what I gather, a lot of Australians, a lot of Victorians also sort of vaguely didn't believe in the vaccine um, and have been persuaded to take it by a really significant uh, public health and communication initiative. There's an awful lot of people here that, you know, had it been just entirely up to them, they wouldn't have taken it either. And they've been persuaded to do it for the greater good. Um, and I and I, and I I get the feeling that that is, you know, I, I think I remember, you know, hearing polling before the, before the vaccine programme starts in this country and, and hearing about quite strong anti-vax sentiment um, here in Australia. So I, I think perhaps that is in particular why it's just falling on deaf ears because there are a lot of people here that, you know, broadly are of the same mind of Novak Djokovic but are just less belligerent about it or have less privilege to be as defiant about it as he as he is being. There was a really good tweet from um, from Richard Ings who's a he's a former umpire, I yeah, think, is that right, right David? Um, very very active on, on Twitter, engages with, with us a lot. And he said, if someone said to me, I have this vaccine here for COVID tested on 8.5 billion people, or uh, I mean 8.5 billion doses, I believe, uh, assessed and approved by dozens of national government health agencies and proven to stop you getting seriously ill, if you take it, here's $2.5 million and a place in tennis history. We'd all say Yes. <laughs> And he's saying no. And um, wow. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's you know, he's fighting to get into the Australian Open. And if he gets in, he will, you know, po quite possibly win it and overtake Federer and Nadal. And he will have won so much. But I can't help but thinking he is losing so much more along the way here, you know, everything that's happened in the last 10 days. He is losing, tennis is losing. This is no good for anybody at the moment. And, and we, I think we all thought that what Djokovic learned at the, the, the US Open right. was that there, there's more to it than just the record, than just the number on the piece of paper. And yet these efforts make it feel, like, I'm sure there's an awful lot more to it in Novak Djokovic's mind, but from the outset, make it feel like it's just about by hook or by crook, I just need to win that title um, and, and get my name down in history. I'm sure there's more to it in his mind, but, you know, we haven't heard that. Um, and that is, you know, from the outside what it feels like. Um, and, and just to say, we haven't had a chance yet on the podcast to discuss the statement that he put mm. out on Instagram, social media a few days ago where he sort of explained what he said was misinformation around his positive test. I mean, what he seemed to do really was just explain everything was actually confirm, confirm all the information. He, he just confirmed all the information. And, and in that, he said that he knowingly went to an interview while infected with COVID. 
he put and didn't declare and yeah. didn't declare it and that is well i think that's pretty unforgivable really and i think that is uh, i don't really know how he comes back from that, that that's no. the that's of all the things that i've mm-hmm. read and 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 it's the only one that i can know about conclusively because it's from his mouth he's not contesting it he's admitting that he said it was an error of judgment it's more than an error of judgment that that i agree with you that that is the most unacceptable unforgivable thing that i've heard of of all and and i i can't well, he, he, unless unless he's prepared to just say and walk back everything on the basis of that i can't i can't have it and that that you know the the international tennis writers association put out a statement and said you know we are we are required to to be vaccinated to to be accredited for this tournament and and could you imagine one of us turning up for an interview <laughs> with Novak Djokovic unvaccinated and positive for covid and not telling him i mean that cannot happen by anybody and and just yeah. It really, really bothers me, and 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 aside from anything else, that that should be the moment I think that he turns around and says, "You know what? I got this horribly, horribly wrong." And and for the good of the sport and for the good of yeah. everybody, I'm going to walk away. And that is, you know, that error is the best possible scenario for Novak Djokovic. A lot of people would would query, you know, other other parts of his other parts of his story which which do have holes in which he which he refutes um but he is he has held his hands up to that and i think as you say i think all of us that alone you know that that should be enough to make you say look okay i've i've completely this is bad i need to just uh reflect on that and 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 give up on this pursuit and know know when to call it a day i think um but it's like the, it's like the Simon Briggs piece, isn't it? It's um, that that belligerence, that defiance, that unwillingness to see anything from other people's point of view. You know, Simon Briggs has written another piece today, and he's he's called it selfishness. You know, it's this is, and he's not alone in that. This is an extremely selfish sport. It it it's it selects for selfishness at the top of the game. It does. Um, but it's it's what's won him twenty grand some titles, and it's what's got him to this point. But um, oh my goodness me, yeah, there there it was a um, I don't think the the statement had the had the desired effect. I think he and the team thought it would be just enough to get him out of the predicament. Um, but that doesn't seem to seem to have been the case. But we await. The appeal, which we think will be on Sunday, Australia time. Matt and I, for your listening ears, uh, will subject ourselves to uh, many more hours of the ultimate tedium. (laughs) I mean, honestly. I said TV misrepresents courts so badly. It's so terrible. It's mostly... It's mostly just a man saying really slowly, as I understand it. Uh, <laughs> and reading and out punctuation. He reads out all the punctuation. Comma, so brackets. Subs, subjunction, subconjunction for 1A, comma, bracket, 
pursuant, pursuit. You've never heard the words pursuant to quite so much as in a family and federal circuit court in Australia, or probably. Are you anywhere. saying, Catherine, that you would take um, uh, men bending over an NFL on a plane over that? Oh, what a conundrum! Um, that's that's a pretty close call. D- Judge Kelly, what? Judge Kelly got got um got quite tetchy at the end, didn't he? It got it got briefly a bit a bit exciting at the end when Judge Kelly obviously just thought for had you know Judge Kelly was all of us for a moment, and he he was asked about um I think Djokovic's lawyers uh, put forward the case that um the because the location of the detention hotel was known to the media and to the public that he shouldn't be taken there. He should should be taken to an alternative location that wasn't publicly known uh, because of the the media circus that we'd inevitably pursue. And Judge Kelly was not having that. He said, well, if, if everybody was so worried about a media circus, then this shouldn't have been landed at my door at 10.55 p.m. on a Friday. He said, you are not going to lay that at my feet. Um, so yeah, briefly crotchety Judge Kelly almost made it worth it. Probably more entertaining <laughs> than anything that's ever happened in men bending over. Um, but anyway, look, we will keep you up to date on all the tedium of the court cases. And um, look, the, the rest of it is not tedium, is it? It's we're not enjoying it. We'd rather be talking about the tennis, but it is. It's massive. It's significant. It's. Um, it's well, wild. It's, I mean, it's really not what we thought we'd be talking about. You've been on about. BBC News, on TV. I've, I've been on CNN. We do not get asked to go on these sort of shows, on the on the news section of these shows very often. But that's that's what it's all about. This is leading bulletins alongside Boris Johnson in the UK um, and many other stories of that ilk. It's, uh, it's, it is absolutely extraordinary. I, I've, I've never known anything like it in all the years I've worked in the sport. Um and uh, yeah, all it makes me want to do is just ask you about your trip to Australia and how is it, how is it going? Just to, just to change the bloody subject. <laughs> well, um, it's just started raining, David. Yeah. <laughs> I demand a refund. Yes, Catherine slept through the rain this morning, mm. but it has started again. Mm. What are you doing, Melbourne? <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not what we came for. Anyway, um, true to form, I spent all day complaining about how hot mm. it was. Notice um, that. Yeah. 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 I loved being hot and sweaty, though. I loved being able to complain about how hot it was. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been... Um, look, Djokovic drama aside, uh, if we can possibly do that for a moment, it's been, it's been, a, it's been great. It's been really, really great. Matt and I watched... Um, some actual live tennis. We watched what at the time felt like a massively high stakes final round qualifying match, which has subsequently turned out to be completely irrelevant. Yes, between Mikhail Kukushkin and Ernesto Escobedo. And Kukushkin won deep in a third set after about three hours. I think he only plays three hour matches, Kukushkin. And we've just had the news that Escobedo's got in as a lucky loser. <laughs> I'm I'm pleased pleased for Javier Narbandian, Mm. who is coach of Ernesto Escobedo, and we're almost certain David Narbandian's brother. 
Um, because that was the name of Ernesto Escobedo's coach who we were sitting behind, Javier Nalbandian. Uh, he looked an awful lot like David Nalbandian. And Google confirms that David Nalbandian has a brother called Javier. So a lot of coincidences have to be the case for that not to have been David Nalbandian's brother. And in other Catherine and Matt mingle with siblings of tennis stars news, we are also... Uh, 99% certain that we saw Marie Osaka in uh, Coles, the supermarket, earlier. So we are hobnobbing, David. <laughs> Truly hobnobbing. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen some of the uh, the fruits of your labour in Coles supermarket um, pictorially. I, I understand we're, we're going to get to, to mm. share those with people, are we? Oh, yes. There is hashtag content galore. Matt watched... Victoria Kuzmova. Um, Actually, I didn't. I didn't need to. <laughs> didn't need my help. Through to the okay. Australian Open main draw, through qualifying. Is this a big mm. surprise? That's how it's I mean, done. I'm, I'm obviously not to you, as some, who's somebody who's a real believer, but I mean, gen I haven't followed her results <laughs> in about two years. I thought she was a double specialist these days, I have to say. David. I didn't, didn't realise she, she really played much singles David, you're forgetting about the Billie Jean King Cup where she was briefly MVP of the tournament. Do you remember that? We christened her that? Well, I may have christened you, her yeah, that. Yeah, you. Um, yeah. I don't really. She's in four. Okay. No. Well, she's qualified for the main Which draw. Which takes some doing, as doesn't has, it? I mean... um, just if you, it, absolutely. If you allow us a, a brief moment of, um, of British bias, as has Harriet Dart, uh, who qualified today. She beat the Aussie Kirsty Birrell. Kim. Kim Birrell um, in the final round of qualifying. And Liam Brody uh, beat Roman Safiulin in the final round of qualifying, which is a heck of mm. a win, really, given... Because he was threatening to be the new Aslan Karatsev. He was. He and he was, was. And given it, the, the calibre of matches that he got mm. in the, the ATP Cup last week, and yeah, he was, he, was, he was serving for the match and it was quite a celebration for Liam Brody. I think that's the first time he's... He's played main draw, or will be the first time he's played main draw in Australia, and he's drawn Nick Kyrgios. Wow. In round one. Yeah. With the winner almost certainly to play Daniel Medvedev in round two. Mm. What a section. This is not our official preview podcast, so we won't uh, do no. too much talking about the draw, but yes, please, to all of that. We've um, also seen the new stadium at Melbourne Park, the... Kia Arena, which I, which we think is the fourth biggest stadium, and it is lovely. It's really nice. You know, everything you want from a tennis stadium, slightly sunken, sort of amphitheater feel, not too big, but big enough to generate, I'm sure, an excellent atmosphere. It's really, really nice. I, I mean, I think Melbourne Park's got probably, you know, six excellent courts now, you know, really mm just the facilities here are staggering, you know, and I'm sure that's what Wimbledon is imagining it could be when they purchase the golf club land and mm. they're able to move across there. And it's something that Roland Garros just can't do with its limitations of space. And, you know, I think Melbourne Park really is leading the way in terms of, for, you know, facilities. And this new stadium is just just added to that. Uh, and generally, I mean, they've been doing a lot of building work in recent years, haven't they? I mean, it's two years since you went to Melbourne Park. How 
Is it? Does it feel much different at all? And what, aside from the stadium, what what what's it like? The the media centre is is in a different location, and it has a a new carpet. It's bright orange. <laughs> Um, and there is now a facility where you can scan a QR code at your desk and someone brings you a coffee. Oh, now we're talking. Maybe I'll try mm. that in my office, mm. see if that works in, <laughs> inside the Solihull house. Yeah. Um, so we'll let you know how that pans out tomorrow. Emma Raducanu is on all the advertising hoarding. Mm. That's quite different N- not from a, two years not ago. Not a Novak Djokovic in sight, but a lot of Emma Raducanu's. And- I mean, what and a they world. they kicked Djokovic off because they didn't know at that, that point even whether he was going to try and play, I suppose, did they? Yes. I mean, to be fair, we haven't seen many Nadals either because um, presumably at the time of making the signage, uh, Nadal was a doubt as well. So that I don't think there are no Nadals, but he's I mean, we've seen a lot of Barty, a lot of Raducanu. I've seen quite a lot of Kyrgios. Mm. Um but not really any Djokovic, Nadal's or, or Federer's, um, which, you know, Nadal aside, sort of broadly a good decision. It would, you know, we'd all be laughing at it, wouldn't we, if there was sort of big three uh, <laughs> material splashed all over the place. There is a Martina Hingis. <laughs> there, is, there is a massive Martina Hingis alongside Naomi Osaka, which, you know, lovely. Um, is... I think it might be a sort champions of thing. champion right. section. Yeah, mm. yeah. But she's along. It, but she's it, alongside it, modern day players, she's alongside like current players. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. 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 Um, what else has happened to us today? I've already got blisters. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Yeah, day one. Um, not sunburnt because we had to spend the whole day in the shade because of how hot it was and how much I was complaining about that. Um, and tomorrow's media day. Yes. So we'll be going on on site tomorrow for these. I mean, how, press how are these players going to handle this this succession of questions? I mean, it's just they're going to get asked well, about Djokovic it, it, and. and what can they say? Well, well Stefano Sitsipas did a so Matt got twi- clickbaited last night. Um, Stefano Sitsipas had done uh, some kind of TV interview via Zoom from his hotel room, and the clickbait headline was, you know, Sitsipas slams Djokovic or something. And so, you know, Matt gets drawn in as you do. I mean, he he, he wasn't slamming Djokovic. He, he he didn't really say anything. He really didn't say much at all. It was a lot of words. He said, he said Djokovic is playing by his own rules and you can interpret that as sort of taking everyone else for fools a little bit. But it was one of those where written down, it came across as a much more mm. powerful mm. quote than the way he actually said it. So, so we sort of got fed up and said, oh, this is ridiculous. This is, you know, he's not saying anything at all. And then the next thing, you know, we're watching, um, I think it was Channel, Channel 9 News and it was... Leading the headlines on Channel 9 News, Sitsipas slams Novak Djokovic, you know. So, goodness me, there are going to be some people walking a tightrope tomorrow, briefed within an inch of their lives. And you, you can understand it. You can understand it. I mean, would I want to weigh in on it? In, in, ugh, probably not. Probably not. I mean, I know I get very frustrated with tennis players, you know, being un- unwilling to 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 put their necks on the line ab- about anything, but I think in this instance, I really, I really get it. Yeah, I still think Nadal's answer has been the mm. best I've heard in yeah. terms of, you know, getting to the point of this could have been avoided. Mm. You know, he knew the rules, and if you don't accept them, you have to accept consequences. Um, and sort of leaving it at that, really. I think mm. what's become very clear yeah. is that they just needed to have a very straightforward rule on it, on the whole thing. You either, mm. Uh, mm. I don't know how they get by a really, certainly an acute medical condition that 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 maybe something that needed to be factored in, but they basically needed to make it: you're either vaccinated or you're not, and if you're not, you don't play. Or and and if you haven't got an an acute medical condition which he's not claiming to have, then sorry, you can't play. Um, they they allowed this yeah. to get grey area, and that's led up to mm. a more than a week long saga, which still is on the tournament's doorstep right now, and and overshadowing the tournament. I mean, so, some people might say, well, imagine, look at the eyeballs it's bringing to it because of all these people that suddenly know about it because of all the news headlines. Yes, I, I get that, but I think we've gone probably beyond that now. Are there any of those eyeballs saying, oh, really really must watch some tennis? Mm. Not sure they are. No, and and as you said, they've... You know, they've tried to get Djokovic into the tournament thinking that would be a good thing for the tournament, a good thing for Novak Djokovic. 
it it couldn't have backfired more. I mean, this is. I, I mean, I think it's causing both bits harm. It's causing mm. Djokovic harm. It's causing the tournament harm. I mean, as you said, it's overshadowing it. It's tarring it. It's it's just a total. It's also mystery causing Australia situation. now harm, isn't it? In terms, I mean, they they do look. Yeah. They've looked ridiculous. Some of their handling of it um, has just been pr- pr- because it's been inconsistent. It's you know we've got players that have left now. We've got Djokovic being held up at the mm-hmm. border on this procedural thing that gets overall. I mean, it's just it's embarrassing, really. They're they're making decisions that are getting taken to to a judge. That's getting overall. They do him again, and now here we are again, and there's two days to go, and and. Here we are as a tennis podcast and as a tournament, kind of making out like the Australian Open's the big deal, and that that should uh, hmm. that should determine the timings of everything. It's it's all so uncomfortable. Mm. And for, look, there there will be a lot of Djokovic supporters that will say he's being singled out. He's being unfairly treated. Um, he's being he's being politicised, but then. You know the the Czech player, the Czech player who got deported. She didn't have the the means to to launch an appeal. She didn't have a uh, she didn't have a hearing scheduled for her at at nine pm on a Friday evening, did she? She just she just had to leave, and that was that. Um. So, I mean, I know we live in a world of inequality, but um, gosh, the whole thing feels so unsatisfactory. Uh, the, the, which is such a shame because there's so much good news happening in actual tennis at the Murray at, at the moment. A little Freudian slip there. Andy Murray uh, is a finalist in Sydney, and it's been so uplifting to watch that run. Um, he'll play Saturday either Aslan Karatsev or Dan Evans. Uh, as we come to you, Dan Evans is serving two three juice in the deciding set against Karatsev. It's amazing this. He has saved how many match points? I think he saved four match points in the second set tiebreak, which he won fifteen thirteen. He then went love three down in this second set, did Evans? And I've just seen him out the corner of my eye, ranting at his support team as a. I don't know what he was upset about, but my word, was he giving them an earful and the umpire and now he's mounting another comeback he's back on serve at two three and juice um i didn't see murray against uh apelka i mean my, my my recollection of murray against tall players is that it's extremely good i i remember him being able to lob ivo karlovich when everybody thought it was impossible and he did it several times at wimbledon in a single match a few years ago what what was this one like I don't think he's ever lost to Karlovic or Isner, and he did he did similar things to Apelka today. Quite a lot of lobs. He loves a target. He just loves it, and the number of times he will find the target past you know Apelka's presence at the net is is it's thrilling to watch. Actually, that style of tennis, that that sort of contrast of styles. He threw an underarm serve at one point. Oh, really. Which was unexpected. Mm, oh yeah, it was. It was quite a good one. Apelka got to it, and Murray had a pass, but Murray missed the pass on mm. the backhand. So he don't, did. He don't did end up losing the point. Blame the underarm serve. It wasn't the underarm serve's fault. Yeah, it was the it execution was just poor of the execution. pass. Is this kind of vindication for my belief that this is becoming a strategic move now within tennis. I think we all think it's becoming a strategic. I mean, I certainly move, think Murray we? uses it strategically. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not fully convinced that it's sort of caught on for everyone strategically, but certainly Murray uses it in a strategic way. And and if 
if Evans does win this, which of course will be out of date by the time this goes out, it would be a first all British final on in on on the ATP. So that would be a sort of cool slice of history. It's, it's um, an interesting one, isn't it? Because Murray has Murray has said two things about mm. sort of his intentions, his d- desires still remaining in tennis. He wants to make three things. It, three three things. Three things. I'll say two and then you can do the third. The, the, the two that I'm thinking of are he wants to win 50 titles. Oh, he really? said that. He's currently on 46. And he wants to have a couple of deep runs at slams. Which is cool that he's stating sort of Which is absolutely cool. ambitions. But could winning the title in Sydney actually end up hampering his ambition to have a deep run mm. at a slam. So we're talking about, you know, these a bit there was a grueling match against Apelka today. He'll play again tomorrow. You'd think probably I mean Karatsev and Evans, they they like a marathon, don't they? And Murray can't resist a marathon. So he plays the Saturday. I mean, I'm sure his team are asking for a Tuesday start, but um there is absolutely no guarantee of that. So he has to very potentially travel and play a best of five set match against Nicolas Basilashvili, who okay, he's beaten this week, but that was three he's hours, a very good player on, on Monday. Well, exactly. Um, it's a very interesting one. I've no doubt that he desperately wants to win this title mm. in Sydney. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot to be said for momentum. And yes, it's the start of the year. He's fresh, all of that. But it's, it's an interesting balance and conundrum. What's the third ambition? Well, I was going to say, I think it's especially interesting given given the potential nature of this Australian Open. Look, I'm not... What are you suggesting, I, I'm that? not saying <laughs> that about, Andy Murray is going to win the Australian Open. Are you about to disclose Open. what I asked you over lunch today? Um, you said, well, firstly, you said, imagine if Kosmova goes on a run. <laughs> Radakanu of those Australia. Are words which came out of, <laughs> those are words which came out of your mouth, not mine. Mm. And then you also were wondering whether Murray and Nadal were in the same We're, we're in half. opposite halves of the draw, i.e. is that final possible? But I didn't quite say it out loud. Obviously, I did just then. Um, but, but, but yeah, yeah, I mean, the point I'm making is it's looking increasingly likely that Novak Djokovic isn't going to play this Australian Open. We don't know, but that's probably the way it looks like it's going. Mary's lost to Novak Djokovic five times in the Australian Open. And he will think that that makes a difference. He was asked by John Fitzgerald after his, I think maybe his first or second round wins in in Sydney. He was asked, "Could, could you still win it? Could you win it? And he said, it's a stretch. And then, and then he goes, mm. but, you know, if I, <laughs> if I play well and, you know, the draw opens up, maybe, maybe. You know, it's kind of like he didn't want to put himself... If he thought the answer was a categorical no, absolutely no way in hell, he wouldn't yeah, be if there. He, he didn't want to... Yeah. And well, be the mind to goes back to your dream. interview with him. I can't remember whether it was last 2021 or 2020, Catherine, when, when you... When he was he was so adamant that he he saw himself at the sharp end of big tournaments again, and that sounded absurd. Honestly, I remember. It, it's a lot more likely than Emirati Khanu winning the U.S. Open was. Mm. Yep, yep. Something way less likely has literally. Is it, just is it more likely yeah. that yeah. Murray and wins the Australian Open or Raducanu wins the Australian Open? 
What a question. To Raducanu having just lost Love and Murray Bond to Rebecca. Murray. Murray more likely. Pretty similar odds, I'd give you. Not, I mean, I, I don't really understand odds, but I'd give you pretty similar odds. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's also interesting that he's using a new racket. You know, he's, he's at that stage of his career. He is trying to get every last drop out of what he's got left, down to tinkering with his equipment. And, you know, I always think we're not, you know, amazingly qualified to be able to talk about what difference a new racket will make for Andy Murray. But my understanding is that it's a bigger head size. And that's quite a big change to make, you know, when you've been using the same head size through your whole career. He is, he is leaving no stone left unturned to do all he can. I'm going to expose my my level of tennis ability here, but I just don't understand why everybody wouldn't want to play with as big a racket as possible. Why wouldn't you want to maximise your possibility of hitting the ball in a good good spot? Bigger sweet spot, surely. Feel, I think. Mm. Touch, feel. Yeah, it reminds me of how I bought Pete Sampras's racket in 1995, just assuming that because he was the best player in the world, he must have the best racket in the world. And therefore, if I had it, I would have the best chance of being the best that I could be. Not knowing that in order to wield it successfully, you actually had to have extreme talent. Uh, and it had a very small head. You are and not I alone there, David. <laughs> I couldn't time it at all. You're not alone there. My, my dad, my dad, who is a, a racket stringer, is very judgmental of people that rock up with their with their Nadal rackets to be strong and sort of obviously don't play any brand of tennis remotely like Rafael Nadal's. You know, club hackers. Um, but by the way, I mean way, this is not um, a direct David Whitaker quote. That's a sort of an approximation of a, a story. Have you given Andy Murray's third one yet? No, I was going to say I need to do that. No. Then, and I've built it up, and I really think it's the least impressive of all of them. Oh. He wants to get, I believe, it's to seven hundred wins. Oh yes. But he's on something like six hundred ninety-two. He only needs about, oh. you know, less than ten. I, he I could do it this month, just go and play Newport, Rhode Island, or something. <laughs> done. These feel very niche <laughs> goals, some of them. You know, the two two out of the three seem pretty niche to me. And yet And and he's got other And ones one of them is he... is is right up your street, David. It's it's wonderfully vague. A, a deep run at a slam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What does that mean? That's way better. I much prefer That's that good, one. isn't it? But I, but yeah. I do I <laughs> then I think to myself, I, I do exactly the same thing. I'll put a number on something that I want us to hit, podcast wise or something like that. And it doesn't really matter whether we do it next year or this year, but I've decided I want to do it this year. And so we, we, I start becoming obsessed. Don't we know about it? <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, by the way, um, yeah. whilst um, Dan Evans is 4-3 down here in the third set on set, he played Maxime Cressy the other day. And uh, obviously we all we know go. what a lovely fan of uh, Maxime Cressy I now am. The serve volleying uh, France-born American. Um, but... Watching Evans deal with him the other day with his hands and his movements and his ability to deal with a servant volley, it was just so entertaining and so much fun. And yet, and then trying to see him play a total opposite, you know, a, a fairly short, powerful baseliner like Aslan Karatsev. I mean, I, lo I love watching both types of match, but just shows how much talent Evans has in those hands of his. And, and, 
I would love to have seen him. I actually mentioned this to him the other day. I'd love to have seen him just get transported back into the into the eighties and nineties to have a go at playing against the servant volleyers, Pat Cash, Pat Rafter, uh, Stefan Edberg, all of these guys. You know, to see how he would have got on. I mean, he he reckons that the sheer size of them is is problematic. I mean, that of of the of big servers. I I don't see that really. I uh, he handled Cressy pretty comfortably. And again, I think at re- at time of recording, he's not lost a match this mm. year, Evans, has he? he? He won all of his matches in the ATP, ATP Cup, looked really good. He's obviously had this good run in Sydney. He's he's really started the year well, Dan Evans. And yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive what he gets out of his game these days. Uh, speaking of which, just to wrap up other on-court tennis news for you, we watched... Uh... Paolo Bedosa in action earlier in Sydney in the semi-final, taking on Daria Kazakina. And she looks unplayable really? at the moment, Paolo Bedosa. It took my breath away. That's well interesting. Was I, yeah, I, I was I was surprised because I saw her play Azarenka. Mm, that was the last time that I'd seen her play as well. Year, wasn't last it? week. For her. I saw that and thought, oh, is she going to have a problem year two or something? Mm. Jump into conclusions. Yeah, she really was. <laughs> she she really was beaten straightforwardly by Azarenka. But we Get, just looked at each other during this match and thought, Kazakina wow. did not play badly, and she lost two and two and two and what? two. I two think and it two? was in the end. It, but it was almost two and love. I think she rallied right yeah. at the end. But uh, same in the first set, rallied right at the end. Yeah, there I was mean, such conviction. In it, the way Bellosa was hitting the ball. Conviction and, and margin. Safety. You yeah. didn't think she was going to miss. And she was really going after the ball. It was, yeah, she, it was amazing She just filled watch. you with confidence. Um, I just felt so secure watching her. Like, oh, she's, she's just not going to miss. But she's still going to play incredibly aggressive tennis. And that's a, that's a heady concoction. I mean, I know the draw will be everything. And it's still a worry having seen her get... get sort of out-hit by Azarenka so recently because there are bigger hitters than Azarenka out there and and plenty of them. But, wow, I haven't done my predictions yet, but I will be going big big with Badosa, I think. And Um, she plays Barbora Krejcikova in the final mm, in Sydney, who... Great final. we, We did not see what I believe was a fantastic match between Krejcikova and Contivate because we were watching Kukushkin Escobedo, which In, turned out to be not to rubber. mean anything. <laughs> However, our understanding is that Krejcikova Contivate was thrilling and certainly went to a final set tie break. And I think Krejcikova won it 14-12. It was one of those where the momentum was swinging back and forth and they were sort of breaking serve and winning points on on their opponent's serve and just in the balance right to the end. Really, really high quality match, I think, straight out, you know, right at the start of 2022 for both of those players. It's, it's that, That's also impressive because Contivate had, you know, still had something to prove. I think she she showed that she'd taken a big leap in her career with everything she did to get into the WTA finals at the end of last season. But that pause in the in the year can so often like reset. You know, how many times have we seen it with Sabalenka, for example? But Contivate, I think, still playing really, really well at the start of this season. And Krichikova, this is, I mean, it's not her second season, is it? But it's her second season of being 
this Craig Sheikova, and she's backing it up already. Um, yeah, um, it's in, it's in such a good place the WCA at the moment. Mm. There's just so many players and stories and possibilities every week. Mm. We just watched Madison Keys get the better of Coco Goff uh, in a narrow three-setter. David, this is your opportunity to tell everybody that you almost picked Madison Keys in your predictions this week, but didn't. Yes. After I saw probably about 15 minutes of her win over Alina Svitolina, which I think is a really good early season win. You know, it just made me think, well, I know how capable Madison Keys in, we all do, but is, but we, she just, I, I always expect her to hit the, hit the back fence as often as clean winners really. And it was just there. Everything was, was, felt contained her game felt under control which which often hasn't been the case and uh you know i decided to go for maxime crazy to win, win his tournament instead <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what is it you put on all your pole vaults head over heart yeah, mm. what can i say um but mm. um uh so uh, madison keys will play Alison risk for the title in adelaide the men's final will be contested by uh, either Marin Cilic or Tanasi Kokonakis. Cilic, a break-up in the third, but break-back point to Kokonakis as we come to you now. In fact, he's just broken back and he's whipping up the crowd as as Tanasi Kokonakis just does. I, I love it when he's on a roll. I lo- he's he's such a good news story for me. I just, I love seeing this. Um, he has got shorts on that make it look like he's had a sort of accident. Um, but apart from that, I... I I love to see it. Uh, and he will play. Who will he play in the final in Adelaide, Matt? I believe it's Arthur Rinden. Knesh. 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 Mm. Mm. Who, who, who thrashed Corentin Mute. In an all-French affair. Mm. Mute, who got disqualified in the first week of the season. Yes, in a challenger, I think. Was it? Oh, I thought it was on, I thought it was on the main tour. Oh. Well, he got disqualified somewhere anyway. Uh, we got uh, Azan Karatsev attempting to serve at the match 30 all though against Dan Evans. Um, all of this will be entirely out of date by the time <laughs> you're listening to this. Uh, so we won't hang on to, for the results as we come to you because we're going to have plenty more podcasts coming away over the next few days. We still have one more uh, tennis relived for you for friends of the tennis podcast. That's going to be um, casting our minds and our memories back to 2014. We've decided to pick a year that Matt can actually remember uh, for our second Tennis Relived Big. episode. Uh, and of course, we will have our Australian Open preview officially uh, when we'll be digesting the draw and everything the players have had to say on Media Day. Uh, and then, of course, we're into daily Grand Slams from the first major of the season. Catherine. So. Can, can, can I bring yeah. you a quote before you end? Um, mm, as Aslan Karatsev just wraps up victory and gets through to the final where he will face Andy Murray. Murray has said, Karatsev, yeah, I've never played against him. I have practiced with him one time on the grass last year. He's obviously a huge, huge ball striker, really strong guy, huge pair of calves on him. Mm. Very hard to disagree, Andy. I speculated earlier when watching this match that his calves have actually... Uh, swelled in size since I last saw him which is improbable but I urge you to take a look it's I mean they are they're like they're like Popeye's biceps 
Uh, anyway, that's going to be that's going to be really good, Murray Karatsev tomorrow. I'm sure it'll clash with you know the 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 best press conference of the day or something, or or some court case that Matt and I have to urgently watch. <laughs> Um, but we'll do our best to cover all of it. Um, David, David will help us from Solihull. We got you covered, don't worry. Plenty more tennis podcasts coming your way. I have shout-outs. We have shout-outs for this episode. Crack on, Matt. We have Joe Duck from Aberdeen. Oh, hello, Joe Duck. Some cricket terminology. Good, good day in the cricket for England finally today. That will happened at a time when I wasn't able to pay any attention to it. Can we note down how many of our listeners end up having animals for surnames? Because I like that game. Yes, I like that game too. Thanks for your support. Thank you, Joe. We have Mari Watt, who is also from Aberdeen, but lives in Muscat in Amman. Wow. Wow, that's fun. Mm, I've been to, well, I've only briefly been to Muscat on a stopover on the way to Sri Lanka. The hottest place I've say, ever been quite, in my life. I, mean, I, I was thinking back to, to when we were doing our um, my first Australian Open show, and one little story I forgot to tell uh, in that was how I got on the plane in Melbourne at 37 degrees Celsius and got off in Zagreb at minus 17, so a 50-degree difference. And I was just thinking, you, you might be able to beat that between Muscat and uh, Aberdeen. Yes, and... Um, Thank you, Mari. Mari says that she saves the tennis podcast for walks around the Grand Mosque in Muscat. Uh, And she says, thankfully, we still have to wear masks everywhere so no one can see me looking like a weird person (laughs) chuckling away at your shenanigans. Mari, if you're you're worried about the sound effects uh, that are potentially drowning out your shout-out, it's the fact that Matt and I are about to get swept away in a very, very dramatic storm. Again, I... Demand a refund WTF, from, from this Melbourne. weather. Uh, there's just been a massive strike of lightning outside our window. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to wrap up the shout-outs. We have final one, Ryan Carlo, who's from Ontario, Canada. Oh, hello, Ryan. Ryan. Thanks for your support. And Ryan, Ryan is an environmental scientist working on reducing pollution inputs into the Thames River, but the smaller one in Canada. And he says, I enjoy hearing you discuss anything UK geography because so much of southern Ontario is named after places in the UK. Ah, yes, that is very true. Well, uh, Ryan Harrison, that's a tennis player. Yep. Any others? Can't think of any. No. Okay. Pen- Peniston? R- yes. A Ooh. British, sort of the British number 11 or Up something. Is he Ryan? He's had a good year, apparently. <laughs> It's uh, it certainly might be Matt. Certainly might be. Okay, thank you, Ryan, for your support. Thank you to all the Ryans. Uh, we have our executive producers, Carl Baumgartner and Chris Albert Lee. They are both top blokes. We have our sponsors. Matt has Gerald the cat. Uh, I've got Carter the dog and David has Darwin the dog. All of them are lovely. Uh, Billy Jean, who's not with me but is not noticing and having a lovely, lovely time, uh, has Billy Jean King and Ilana Kloss, lucky Billy Jean. Uh, and of course, as I've told you, we'll be back for plenty more Australian Open tennis podcasts. It's not too late to become a friend of the pod. 
uh, if you want those bonus pods, including Tennis Relived. The details are all in our show notes, as are the details to get hold of our newsletter, which is going to be an absolute treat because Matt is out here in Melbourne. Um, we hope he survives the storm so that uh, we can bring you that newsletter. So all of us will be back with you very, very soon indeed. Thanks for listening. 